Welcome back. Sorry, I've had a couple of weeks off. I was away in Egypt and I thought I'd take a little break again. But this episode was recorded with Bruce Henman-Locke in March and he's previously been on to speak about film music. But this episode is, as I like to do with a lot of people, is focused on his university experience. So how it is in Leeds, why he picked music, the difficulties and challenges of studying. And we also take quite an interesting turn into music psychology and music therapy, because that's something we're both interested in the long term. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Leeds University, Bruce? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I am. That is correct, <laughs> yeah. We're together with uh, both second year music students and this episode today is going to look at your first and second year experience, I think, and why you chose Leeds, what you like about the course and just delving, talking about more information about that as well. Mm-hmm. So firstly, why Leeds? It was like, it's, this is actually quite a weird story. So during A-levels, I was like, I was thinking, hmm, well, what do I want to do at uni? And um, my best mate, Owen, he was like, oh, mate, I'm going to Leeds. Why not? So <laughs> I thought, you know what? I'm not, I was really indecisive about what uni I was to go to. I just didn't want something in London. I wanted to get out, go to a new city, have a new experience. So I was like, yeah, well, I'll go to Leeds as well. But I actually didn't get in to music at uh, degree level because I didn't, I didn't get the grades, basically. So I took a foundation course in art and design at uh, Ravensbourne. And during that time, I was kind of like trying to figure out if I still wanted to do music, if I can't get into Leeds. And then I discovered actually uh, music psychology, which I had no prior knowledge about. Didn't know that was a its own degree in, in of itself. And I decided, yeah, give it a go. And um, they gave me an unconditional. And considering the size of the classroom, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so the to, to clarify the difference, obviously a music... There's a lot of different music ones. There's a music BA, which I know a lot of people did. There's I've heard music and maths, music and enterprise, music and business. So what's the difference of music and psychology and, and others? Well, music and psychology technically uh, is an integrated master's, so an extra year to get that qualification. In all honesty, we share basically all of our courses, yeah. modules, don't we, with the music, course, music classes. Mm. Um, the only difference really is that the psychology module is compulsory, and I think in third year, things get a bit more different. Like, um, I think I have 40 credits free to do things, and then I've got a 80-credit dissertation or something already. What was that, fourth year? One of them, <laughs> yeah. It's um, It just changes up a little bit. Music psychology, yeah, really, it's just the, uh, the name that's different. I mean, you can tailor how you go about the course yourself, yeah. really. You know, if you want to picture it as music psychology, you focus on the psychology aspects but you're still stuck doing interpreting music and uh, everything else. Mm. So your first year wasn't too dissimilar to mine in the in the modules that you did? No, not at all, I don't think. I did interpreting music, or um, what was it, history and culture politics yeah. back then as well. Music research skills. Music research skills, yep. So all the key, yeah, all the key ones that yeah. a lot of first years do. How, how did you find the, uh, firstly, obviously, bridging the gap from sixth form and, and studying there and coming to Leeds? Um, obviously, covid covid affected mm. a lot of what we did and so how did you find the transition and, and the first few months 
Well, technically, because you know I'm a year older than most of the people on the course. I did the year in foundation. That was cut in half in March because of COVID. Cool. Yeah. So I kind of had sort of the uh, understanding of the university vibes already because foundation course is inside a university. So I was um, I was trying to get into trying to get to grips with how the teaching is different and all that. Um, I mean, there were no lectures back then. It was just a hands-on DT build a building kind of thing. In the first year, considering I had no lessons in person, it wasn't what I expected. It was very much a, this is university? This is not how I envisioned it. It's not how, it's not how the films show it. <laughs> what, was the, what was your expectations? I remember the first day we got here, I had a, uh, like an intro lecture in our biggest lecture room in the music building. And I was like, nice room. I hope to be here like you know every week just have a lesson in here it's quite nice and grown up and then I think I spent the third week of my first year not leaving my room at all yeah <laughs> more or less so yeah it's it wasn't what I expected but well I had to make do with what I got really yeah it was a tough particularly obviously a lot of students were affected by it but I think when you're when you're coming in to the first year and you haven't made any friends you haven't met anyone mm. and you don't even know the school of music it's, it's it was very tough to acclimatize and yeah accommodate yeah. to that I remember the first time i met you actually it was at that uh, meetup in hyde park wasn't it yes yeah and yeah. that was see maybe at the start of 2021 yeah i think it was like january around that time yeah still and cold but sunlight yeah that. and that that just shows to me how i think someone had messaged on the main music group chat um, and I'd hardly bet anyone for music, so it just shows that the university, unfortunately, couldn't like get people together, and you couldn't mm. meet anyone through natural ways. You had to kind of go out your way to meet yeah. in parks and and stuff, which was a little frustrating. But at least, at least you could meet people. Yeah, guess, definitely. Because yeah. Um, yeah, you just couldn't do it in in-person classes. Did Did you manage to meet anyone early on? No, really. That meetup was the first time I met most people in person. Obviously, had. Um composition seminars um i had a presentation group in, inter in interpreting, interpreting music back then yeah actually seeing people in person was quite it was kind of a shock like wow you've got a pair of legs um yeah. <laughs> didn't see that coming yeah, yeah. <laughs> you actually exist yeah <laughs> yeah so in terms of the the workload and the kind of work you were doing do you want to just kind of go into some of the modules that you undertook and the challenges behind them in terms of whether they were writing essays or exams mm. like that. sure um i keep referring to this but again the foundation course wasn't in music at all so i had literally a year of no music work at all for me and i uh i wouldn't say i got thrown into the deep end when we came to uni but um jumping back into all that theory work it was kind of like a, a crash course into how music works again because my mind got frazzled over the the year <laughs> Oh, I'm trying to remember what music psychology was like. I remember, remember, like um, there was a lot of specific music psychology psychology studies which I thought were really interesting. Um, I would say it probably is my favourite module both last year and this year, just because I enjoy music psychology more than others. I mean, I love film music as well; that's great. Yeah. But um, I mean, in comparison to last year, like we had a music research skills module. It was nice because, again, the seminar was in person. It just amounted to um, how to write an essay, how to do referencings. 
Yeah, whenever I need to refresh my memory, I just go online and look up MHRA referencing or something. Yeah. So, it was yeah. A, it was a useful module. It's kind of setting the structure, but there wasn't anything to progress you musically. Yeah, nothing um, substantial exactly. to uh, take on to the next year. And music psychology, I think I, I really like it as well. What what do you yeah What do you like about it? Because for me, it's the it's the way that you can use what you learn in practice in real life. Mm. So you can look at the things like the ten thousand hour rule and and other studies that have shown different ways of practicing. But I, I think practicing has been very useful. So is anything been particularly useful for you? Uh, initially, so last year I was really into uh, music performance and music performance anxiety. And on the other side of the coin to that, so flow theory and all that stuff. I was really invested in that theory. This year, I'd say music perception has become quite interesting. So like um, positive and negative responses, physical arousal, like, you know, I remember one of the lectures, they were saying, oh, you can figure out how someone likes the music if they get goosebumps. It's literal skin conductivity. Mm. And that's based off a of primal instincts of uh, fear. And I thought... Mm. <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah, I yeah. just... Did not see that coming, really. There's a couple of things you mentioned there that I want to touch on. So the first is the flow state. So mm, am I right in thinking that the flow state is basically something that you want to try and find and it's where you're in an activity for maybe longer than 30 minutes, but you're completely immersed in it and you don't have any other distractions? I think it's. I think there's no time duration on it because um, the definition is something like um, a suitable mix and combination of familiarity with the activity but also tension and anxiety to, to accompany it so I've actually experienced flow theory myself only once and that was in my uh, A-level uh, music performance I failed the first time but let's not talk about that um, <laughs> and the second time um, it is how they explain it it's like an out-of-body experience where you see yourself playing your mind starts to wander and you're still playing and then suddenly you're like oh okay I'm, I'm playing but I'm not playing so you have and to bring yourself back. Yeah, you bring room. yourself back in, and um, yeah, as soon as you like get, as soon as you are you're consciously aware that you're in a flow state, it just stops. Okay. And it was it was a really interesting experience. Like it happened about two minutes into the performance, and um, how long did it? Well, you don't know how long you were in that state of where you didn't realize you were playing. No, I really couldn't pinpoint uh, when it started in the song and when it ended. Well, I know when it ended, but yeah, it's. I'm assuming you'd have to know the instrument or you'd have to in the activity that you're doing you'd have to be very well versed in it for you to then be doing it without thinking yeah um i knew the song i was playing pretty well like um it wasn't it wasn't a song i was overly fond of but it had the technical skills and accuracy i needed to get a good grade on it because if so. i was driving a car and i experienced flow state that would be dangerous or do you still do you still work the same way during a flow mm. state? You're, you're well, my body kind of worked on its own accord. Like it was still playing the right notes at the right time, still sounded all right as far as I could tell. Oh, you passed. It. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did pass. Um, <laughs> I think if you're driving a car, maybe you can still register all of the dangers and you know road safety yeah. uh, things you've been taught. So yeah, you should be able to <laughs> still mm. be fine. I don't drive a car because, <laughs> well, you shouldn't trust me. I play too many driving games and yeah. I claim to know what I'm doing. And <laughs> Too much GTA, you might not be. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so with regards to anxiety as well, it's something that a lot of people get. So if you take away music, for example, when you go into big spaces or when you have to read out a presentation in particular, 
because I wanted to relate it to university. There's a present, two presentations coming up on Monday actually, and there is a bit of anxiety there because, firstly, it's obviously because there's not in the last couple of years you've not been in a room full of many people that often, and then also it's just the idea that all eyes are on you, mm-hmm. and even I can see I think that you know lecturers must get a bit of anxiety when they're teaching in front of 30, 40 people, and uh, yeah. So how does that link to when when you talk about music and performance anxiety is that similar in terms of the anxieties there because there's a lot of people there and it's a big occasion or is it to do with the fact that you need to play the instrument you don't want you if you make a mistake then that won't be good is it or is it all kind of all in one well when i did my performance there was only uh five people in the room okay yes i knew it was being graded and recorded for later purposes um i think the concept of what you're doing like um if you know it's going to drastically affect you become more anxious about it don't you because you know it's going to actually have an impact on your life let's say if you're a lecturer or doing a presentation in front of the class i mean you're talking about the uh the interpreting music lecture aren't you yeah that uh oh i I just did didn't i um Mm. i wasn't there for that so you did a presentation in front of a in front of our class yeah it's a small class but um I'd probably say I felt more anxious doing that presentation than I have been performing in front of a whole audience, to be honest. Um, mostly, Is that because you're more confident about what Yeah, you're doing I prefer playing a mu- an instrument than to talking because I um, don't have to enunciate my words when I'm playing an yeah. instrument. <laughs> mm. It's easier to... Well, I think, yeah, you know what you're playing, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily know what you're saying. Yeah. Well, like this, for example. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you played an instrument now, if you played the bass just on the podcast, let me just get out of my bag. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a lot easier. Then, obviously, you touched on in the second year. We've been looking at. Uh, I think you mentioned music perception and how do we how do we research and investigate your reactions to music? Has that been of interest to you this this semester? We were, we've been into quite a few like. Um... Like stage models, haven't we? That's what they're yeah. called, where you have to like um, pinpoint, trying to specifically pinpoint your feelings of arousal, your, the valence of it, whether it's positive or negative. And um, well, I've recently just noticed how hard it is to verbalise how you feel about a song. Oh, what, uh, that was that one thing that I was really interested by, uh, the difference between felt and perceived emotion. Okay. When you listen to a song, there's sometimes a really clear emotion that's being that's being shown in the song and you're sitting there like yeah I can tell it's a sad song don't feel sad myself but then when you feel it you have this this emotional reaction to it this physical reaction it's I haven't figured out yet um, I haven't had done enough research on it as to like why that happens sometimes why you can either feel it personally or just perceive it but I thought it was really interesting how you can have a very emotional song and you can appreciate it for its emotional value it's kind of like a difference between thinking and feeling isn't it really yeah I I think that context comes into that Mm. a lot of the time because if I were to listen to Adagio for strings just in a normal environment it probably wouldn't be I might not even perceive it or feel it that that sadness even though I think that the song does want people to feel that but then if yeah if it was in a different context if it was alongside a film or maybe in more emotional moment 
and I'd probably hmm. feel that emotion more. So I think context comes into that, but it's yeah, interesting isn't it, to see the difference. Yeah, so the stage models are something that we've had to wrap our head around. In, they in are confusing. Because they're a general consensus um, made by particular researcher like Hargreaves, for example, uh, when he does the, the stage models of musical development. And they're a bit... They're the, the, I find them quite taxing. I think they're important to know, but learning about all the the jargon and the and the stage models mm-hmm. is as exciting as then going and reading about studies that have produced really interesting results. Yeah, there's a lot it's a lot of info thrown at you at one go. Yeah. And um we had to compare them as well, didn't we? All three stage models and say which one was better than the other. Ultimately it's just hard to figure out emotion in music, trying to verbalise why something is the way it is. In your opinion, what do you think is the best way to measure from what you've seen to measure emotion in music? Or to measure the response, the emotional response to music. Well, you're talking about context back then. That's quite an important part of measuring the emotion. So let's say um, you listen to a song on the radio and you enjoy it. Then you go see this band live, which this band you really enjoyed. Apparently the song is the same, but the context of it is so much different. So let's say if you're going to measure emotional arousal when you're in a group of friends listening to the same song. You might bounce off one another and feel a stronger emotional connection with the song because you're with your friends. But if you're on your own, it's a lot more of a controlled environment. You kind of feel like it's like a clinical study. As to how you can measure the emotion, I do think all the physical reactions, it's quite interesting, like increasing heart rate, shivers, I think increased brain activity. You can use an fMRI scanner as well. They're all quite... Even body movement as well, if it's a positive reaction. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I'd agree there. I think it's, for me, it seems better than a self-report because I've, I've seen different things. But whilst we know, we feel that we know who we are and our reactions quite accurately, I don't, also don't think we know, people don't know who they are and, and have a this preconceived notion of, of the self or how they respond to things that might not be as accurate as, as say, the data that you just described. Mm, yeah, when you get shivers from a song, you can't say why all the time, but... You get the shivers. It's it's even like difficult to uh, to verbalise what the shivers feel like. You know, it's like a exhilarating sensation, and it's quite interesting how you can measure the level of um, skin conductivity. What does that like, mean? This skin conductivity. It's literally goosebumps. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, when you have a really strong connection in a song, it could happen out of nowhere. You could expect it. It just happens. It makes your skin bubble, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, you have experienced uh, felt emotion. How how does the music psychology link with your introduction to psychology and history of psychology? Well, the reason I took the uh, intro to psychology and history of psychology module is because, is because music psychology, the module itself, is literally music psychology. I wanted to like delve into detail about um, cognitiz- cognitivism, or yeah, <laughs> cognitive basis and all that stuff mm. first before I get fully invested in music psychology so I can understand the context behind it. So, like, you know, how the brain works and all that, um, how we've come to this conclusion. Like, I was interested to see how music psychology itself as a profession is quite young. Looking back at all the studies we've analysed, none of them are before the 19th century, Mm. are they? So, yeah, and then meanwhile, regular psychology has been around since 1800s. 
before that even. When you're learning about the history of psychology, is that quite dense? Is that quite tough to learn? It, again, it was like a crash course. It was only 10 credits. And um, it was literally a weekly rundown of this change in psychology, this change, like mesmerism, hypnosis. We had one actually on um, psychology of fitness, which was a bit of a, bit of a detour, but mm. it was still interesting. So um, yeah, that was history of psychology. Intro to psychology is really just... Yeah, picking out the important people like Freud, for example, analysing his dream theories and stuff like that. Is um, he the most influential psychologist? Um, he was the one who was mentioned the most, that's mm. for sure. Because um, he started off with, with hypnosis as well, I think. Ironically, he didn't like the self-report methods from hypnosis. He was like, I wanted to figure these things out myself, so I actually sit down and talk to the subject instead mm. yeah. of waving a fob watch in front of them. Mm. <laughs> Do, do you think it's important modules to learn as well as what you're doing? Like, will it kind of benefit you to where you want to go in the future? Well, where I want to go to in the future is music therapy. I want to help people through music. That's my main objective. Um, obviously not charge them too much either, because, <laughs> you know, considering the prices these days. Um, mm. Yeah, the modules, the Intro and History of Psychology modules, they led me to find this thing called a Diagnostic Stage Manual. Okay. which is literally a massive book on all of the mental afflictions that exist right now, like PTSD or anxiety, ADHD, what they're caused by and all that stuff. Um, I've yet to actually get the book, but yeah, I want to learn more about just how music can help people, really. Nice. What do you think, because I'm, I'm very similar to you, I'm quite interested in that field. Um, I know we don't know, we're still learning at the moment, but what do you think is one of the some of the main ways that music can help the, an ordinary person if they're if they're struggling with it, it could be anything that they're struggling with but how can they implement music into their lives do you think from what i've gathered so far um when you have a strong connection to a song if for example you're feeling down you've had a rough day um as long as you don't overplay it if you go back to that song you can f- kind of feel comforts within it because it's familiar it's probably tied to an important part of your life that has affected you and um yeah think of it like a blanket really yeah and it just encompasses you you can f- get lost inside it feel the warmth of the song yeah you can just g- get back to square one where all the bad issues you've just experienced you can forget about them for just a brief second even yeah. I, I agree and i think when i had uh, my housemate patrick on to talk about film he said one of the reasons he likes film is that you get lost in it and you forget all your problems. And I know a music's much shorter, but you, in a three and a half minute song, you can quite easily get lost in it and you can think of other things. So it distracts you from if you're in a bad place at that time. Mm-hmm. And for me, that music helps me is energy. Like if I'm just feeling a bit, not doing any work or just laying in bed or need to get up in the morning, there's a couple of songs that I can put on. I'll be straight out. So I think that that almost... I use it as a uh, motivation to do things, which I think is important. Mm. How do you how do you use it? I mean, we spoke a bit before about this, but how do you use music in your daily life? Well, weirdly enough, I don't actually listen to that much music. Mm. Um, I'd say about a song a day, maybe, okay. <laughs> on average. I did quite enjoy playing music myself because I find it as a physical release for stress. So I get to play a song I know, very technically difficult, and I'd just go through the song, get the physical feeling, get all the anger out, maybe. And um, afterwards, I'd feel, like you say, energised, exhilarated, 
carrying on wanting to do more of it because yeah it's a comfort you know you you can play this piece you can play it relatively well and um you can do it over and over again and you know what's going to come how how have you found the balance of playing an instrument and wanting to keep up with that alongside studies and socializing and societies and everything else oh that's that's damn difficult yeah. um, <laughs> so quite a lot of the uh societies you can join primarily looms are very classical based I used to be classically trained, but I'm just not a fan of it anymore. Moved on into more of a bass guitar syllabus and just... I tried joining big bands and I noticed because I spent a year out of music, I just lost all my understanding of theory. So when they asked me to play, they were like, can you sight read this? And I looked at the piece and I could read bass clef and I could play bass, but I can't combine the two. And I thought to myself, shit. <laughs> I'm going to try again next year. But um, yeah, I feel being more of a contemporary musician there's not too much that I could look out to do I mean me and Owen my other mates getting a band together and all that just time constraints as well with the lectures and the assignments yeah there's quite a lot of um, things to do really I'm always busy and um, if I've got a bit of time at the end of the day maybe I'll play a bit but I haven't done so for a while just because I've had so many assignments to do exactly yeah I've I've spoke before about balance it's it's very, very difficult to find, particularly when uh, we started off with COVID and you always have too much too much time. And then as things opened up and you met people and you've got societies and a lot mm-hmm. of things to do, even like, for example, yesterday I went to a gig at, at Brunel and yeah, just as much, that was a lot of fun, but it was about four or five hours out the evening that could have gone to like, I don't know a bit the assignment which mm. I then had to do today so yeah no it's just tough to sometimes to balance that up yeah um, but it's important to yeah continue to try and play the play our instruments <laughs> whilst we're studying music if you've got a job as well that's another thing mm. like I joined the, uh, the society choir and I enjoyed it but then I got a job and I was like well, that's my weekend's gone I've got to do work at some point exactly yeah it's yeah, it's a very hard balance I guess yeah got slightly off which is which is great because we spoke about music psychology but what were some of the so some of the other modules you're doing could you go into them and maybe kind of think about are they how useful are they because I always think that maybe in the first year in particular there was a few that whilst I enjoyed them they weren't actually that useful to what I'm eventually going to do so yeah how did you how do you find the other modules well first you had quite a bit of less choice didn't we in terms of what, what modules to pick um, this year you can really do whatever you wanted I chose opera film music 60s music I wouldn't say I chose those modules because I planned to use them in my career I chose them because I thought I'd enjoy them the most yeah I gotta say film music is great it's a lot of fun making our own compositions well, actually it's weird but I'm looking forward to the final assignments writing music for a Disney short yeah very exciting mm-hmm and we, we will do an episode very soon where with Charlie where we talk about the film music module in detail and then we play our uh, short pieces for live music as well, which I think will be a great episode. Mm. Even the musical sounds terrible. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's t- it was tough to do. But I, I'm, you know, I'm sure all three of them will sound uh, like they should go on the BBC, hopefully. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so the long 60s is, is one that we both do. And we recently had an assignment where... Very fun, I found it, uh, where we had to pick an album between ni- 1960 and 1973, something like that, and we had to look at the album in its context, in how it was recorded, it, and how it affected any issues at the time, social, political issues, and 
you went for Led Zeppelin. So yes. how did you find the process of writing this review? What were the challenges behind that? Well, first of all, I'd like to point out that we both finished this assignment about three hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's fresh in our mind, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, the deadline is in about 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, Led Zeppelin, I think, was actually a bad choice. Considering that um, the assignment was meant to be based on the current issues, political issues at the time, gender, race, politics, it, during the 60s. So you chose Aretha Franklin, a lot more topical in history than, let's say, Led Zeppelin is. Of course, they're very influential. And I've got to say, if it were not for Charlie's book that he gave me, I would have failed. <laughs> but reading about Led Zeppelin, the only controversy that they had was that they covered a few songs and plagiarised them. In terms of innovation, they brought a new sense of recording to the production studio. They're compared to Beatles a bit about their political underlying views in the songs. And Led Zeppelin basically, I think I'm, think I'm trying to quote the book here... Um, their politically underlying views are, we want sex, we're going to shout about it. <laughs> um, Were they not the start of this kind of rock band era? It's debatable about that because uh, Cream is mentioned, well, obviously not as popular as Led Zeppelin, but they do have a couple of songs that people might know. But yes, in terms of uh, the musical progression, they were quite influential. I mean... When you listen to Led Zeppelin, I originally, when I first listened to the songs, I thought, oh, did this come out in the 80s, maybe, the 90s? found out it was 1969. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow, they were... It was pretty different for the time. Yeah. Because you had the Beatles going on, as I mentioned. You had Bowie and Pink Floyd as well, though. All four of these people, very different styles, but all very influential. Did, did they influence a lot of artists afterwards? Well, I recently thought that ACDC had very much... Uh, Led Zeppelin feel and I've heard loads of like noises in Metallica from Led Zeppelin Royal Blood recently you know they sound quite Led Zeppelin-y I'm quite a fan of New Wave though as well so let's say Duran Duran um, Depeche Mode Heaven 17 you get, don't get as much Led Zeppelin in them because they're a lot more derived from funk I'd say mm. yeah you can see Led Zeppelin in modern bands in bands through the last 30 years or so. I'm really enjoying this module because it seemed like the 60s was a massive change for so many reasons. I've spoken in the Aretha Franklin essay about the social issues and the civil rights movement mm -hmm. and the rise of feminism, the Vietnam War protests, British music influence, uh, infiltrating America like the Beatles, Beatlemania. And Led Zeppelin. And Led Zeppelin, you yeah. You wouldn't think they're British when you first listen to them. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about them. <laughs> um, and then... As well as well as that, you've got all the all these amazing artists and and almost the birth of pop. So it's a really interesting time period. I, I feel for music, I'm quite enjoying it so far. And yeah, Aretha Franklin was, was quite exciting to to write about mm. as well. I think that we had a there was a whole range of albums we could have gone for. Even the Beach Boys would have been quite good mm -hmm. as well. But apparently not Sgt. Pepper's. No, uh, apparently weren't allowed to do that because yeah. it was too popular. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would have had a lot of literature on it. That t that definitely changed a lot of things and inspired a... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was it one of their earlier albums for the Beatles? I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. Um, I'm more a fan of Revolver, to be honest, but mm. I can't fault Sgt. Pepper too much. Yeah. So another thing that we had in the first year was similar to that. It was a history of music, but instead of ranging back 50 to 60 years, it went the last few years to 300 years. <laughs> Almost 400, I think. Yeah, it started Renaissance, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, 1400s, 1600s. 
Wow. From there. Learning about litur- liturgical music and oh. church music. Yep. William Byrd as well. Mm. His rise to fame, I suppose <laughs> you could call it. Yeah. I'm not sure what how I feel about that. While while I think it's important to have an understanding of the history of music, well, the way I think university seems to work is they offer some lecturers offer some information in a slide and give you some references. And if you're really interested in that, you can use your own time to to look at to investigate further. But I doubt many people investigated 1700s church music. Mm. 1800s onwards, I say, got a little more interesting with the different periods. And yeah, how how did you find that module? Yeah, it was quite taxing to begin with. Um... Yeah, I understand. You're meant to understand music from its roots, but the roots are kind of dry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you said, when Baroque, Classical and Romantic came along, things started speeding up. I mean, birth of technology, skyrocketing the music industry, like um, electric guitars, recording. It's just like... Yeah, it was like a sudden jump, really, wasn't it, in the end? Yeah. I, um, I did learn a few things, though, I've got to say, from Baroque and Classical. Again, because I'm not overly classically trained anymore. It was kind of a few things I've forgotten, a few things I wasn't fully told. Even modern times, like I was told a few things about Spotify. We had that lecture about um, how artists nowadays go about their releasing of albums, their industry, their popularity, that stuff. It was it was just quite a long module in the end, though, because we were spanning five centuries. Yeah, almost. it was a lot. What, what have been any other major challenges... Since since coming to university, budgeting, of course. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, try not to go out to the pub every night. <laughs> it's tempting. It is tempting. I think it's balancing social life with academic life. Um, like you can decide to go out to the pub instead, and let's say miss a lecture the next day, or have one less night for an assignment. And um, yeah, sometimes you feel guilty about doing one or the other, no matter what you do. You feel like you're either letting someone down, either yourself or your friends. And you end up regretting your actions for missing out on an experience. It's tough, isn't it, mm-hmm. to to know what to miss, um, but also yeah, when to when to do work. And it's yeah, because it just affects you for the next day, and it's difficult to know <laughs> what's right. But I think you just learn that as time goes on, don't you? Yeah, you just gotta yeah, you just gotta learn to balance it out, really. Mm. And so you've got. So two more years after this second year, you've got two more years where you'd... I do. Where it looks like, as you've said, more geared towards music therapy and discovering that side of things. Mm, I believe you can explore the areas you want. I'm actually going to take ensemble performance next year. Okay. Just to, like, have an obligation to take up bass more. Yeah. Because um, when you're part of a group, it, it makes you want to... Well, you need to... Yeah, you've got, you got to pass the module, haven't you? Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was... One thing I regret for this year in terms of modules, because I, I think it was the first day of lessons, I um, sent a couple of emails out while I was at the pub with Owen, just like, oh yeah, by the way, can I switch to ensemble? And they're like, oh, sorry, we've already sorted the groups out. Mm. So yeah, um, yeah, like basically learning year after year from the previous experience, you know. I do find that each year you refine what you want to look into more and more through the exposure to different ideas and concepts within music and music psychology and everything. So, like, well, a good example is the uh, history modules. Started off with 500 years of music to look into, then we have now been refined to, well, specific pieces for a week long, haven't we? Because, mm. yeah, other people obviously did that module and then they picked 
other modules that look into older music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was that. Um, I forgot the name of the module. The English one wasn't mm-hmm. that you could pick, like British music. Yeah, yeah. It's from the eighteen hundreds, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So, if you were interested in that older music and wanted to probably be a lecturer or historian in that, then that's a good option. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I don't actually know anyone who took it though. No, exactly. <laughs> probably only got one or two people in that mm. one. So if if someone was uh, looking to go to either study music or go to Leeds University, what would you say are the positives of, of, of both? And would you recommend, uh, if, if someone's interested in music, to, to go and study it? Mm, I'd say the one downside about Leeds University is that you have to go back up a hill once your lessons have ended. Yeah. To your room, to your to your bedroom. Yeah. Um, again, down to the city centre, go for a night out. You've got a very long hill to walk up. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the university now, um, I'd say it's greatly improved since, since last year with being here in person. I mean, here we are in the recording studio. Mm. This whole building was locked down last year, more or less. Mm. I really enjoy Leeds as a university as well. Uh, the campus being a great location. I love the buildings. I can't believe we have sofas in the music foyer. Yeah, that's pretty nice. We've got a very nice music building with a very good area for mm. for people gathering before. Yeah, and the libraries, Brotherton. Have you been down to the basement? Yeah, where it's got the archives and the circular rooms. Mm. I was talking to my dad about this. Literally, it's something out of National Treasure or mm. Da Vinci Codes. Yeah, it's pretty bougie for a university. It is. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few things to do around here as well. Mm. Um, we've got the Royal Armouries. Mm. You've got. Um, good nightlife in the city there seems like there's so much uh, there's such a big music scene in Leeds mm. and I, I can't think of many cities in, in the UK that would have that like everyone I, I've been doing going on a few house viewings recently and I just see that there's just instruments in most people's rooms and yeah, yeah it's really it's really nice to see that that pretty much everyone is either keen on playing music or keen on going to music events yeah I've noticed every single House viewing, I've looked at online, has that Pink Floyd poster mm. with the uh, albums drawn on the women's backs. Yeah, yeah. I just kind of roll my eyes nowadays thinking, oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's, in, it's, in our, it's in our house. Is it, actually? Yeah. <laughs> it's in the bathroom. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's a very popular one. Mm. The only city and university I can think of that has probably a bigger music uh, nightlife would be Liverpool. Because mm. I went down there for a week or so on holiday and... Beatles everywhere, of course, but it was literally like a whole street just for music clubs and music venues. Got a good few opera venues, I think, down there as well, or classical performance venues. Nice. Yeah, you got the Beatles Museum. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, aside from Liverpool, Leeds is probably one of the best music places to go to. Yeah, definitely. Lovely. Uh, I think that we can pause there for now. We've got a lecture fairly soon. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll end, end things there because it's interesting to hear a bit more about I like the fact that we obviously diverted to speak about the, our interest kind of that music music psychology route and we, mm-hmm. we could definitely do another episode where we delve more into everything that we've learned so yeah. music and emotion um, music and even first year things like music and disability that would be oh, I completely forgot about that yeah maybe we'll prep for the next podcast yeah. next time yeah <laughs> definitely uh, and we'll also have a, a film episode where we with Charlie where we look at our film compositions and analyse them talk a bit about our that course as well mm-hmm. that'd be good yeah um, but yeah thanks for coming on for your, for your second occasion no worries Alex thanks for having me again see you soon <laughs>